0: With the 14th pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the Boston Celtics select Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Carson Edwards, Vermont Waters,
1: Vincent Poirier, Javante Green, Robert Williams
0: III, Jimmy Ogilley, right, Brad
1: Wanamaker, Daniel Tice, Dennis Cantor, from Tom, Tom. Cole, Cole, Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Galen
0: Brown, Brown. Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker
2: from the University of Connecticut.
0: Welcome back to From the Rafters, presented by Bannertown USA and Parquet Press. Sam and I are here today with another special guest. I'll let him introduce himself, though, so go ahead.
2: Hey, guys, how are you doing? This is Adam Taylor from Celtics Blog of SB Nation. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I was planning on doing a podcast sometime earlier this week, but uh, Sam made the recommendation. He was like, no, no, no. Let's wait a few days. I'm feeling something's going on. And I guess he was right because a lot lot has happened in the past week for us to talk about. So, uh, Sam, do you want to start us off here or something? Yeah, you know,
1: I've got my sources, of course, right? Uh, So I I knew they were talking about it last week, like the NBA coming back, because the NHL kind of announced that they would be coming back. So I was like, like I feel like they're going to announce something. And then I believe it was Wednesday, we got the big news of uh, the 22 teams going to be invited to Orlando to compete in this end-of-the-season type deal. And it's very exciting. July 31st, the NBA will be back.
0: I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Uh, What are your thoughts on the new uh, format going on, Uh, Adam? You have any thoughts on the uh, 22-man format, how it's going to work?
2: I'm looking forward to it, to be honest. I like the way the teams are going to be playing eight games beforehand to get their fitness up. That's the main thing for me, is about how they're getting fit. I do also like the way they're going to be running the eight seed. So, are you guys familiar with how they're going to be doing that?
1: Yeah, it's like if um, if the difference between the two teams is less than four games, then um, they will have a playing game, right?
2: Yeah, so the yeah, way that's is you're going to have team A who are sitting in the 8th seed, and then you're going to have Team B who are sitting in the ninth position. Those two teams, if there's less than four games separating them, or four or less games, I should say, then those two teams will have a little playing tournament. The team that's in the 8th seed only needs to win one game. The team that's in ninth seed will need to win two consecutive games to be able to pry the 8th seed away.
0: Okay, that makes sense. I feel like that's fair. Um, but as we see right now, so in the West, it's the Grizzlies in the eight seed right now, and then the Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, and Spurs right behind. And funny enough, the Blazers were the one team to vote against this new 22-man format, and they came out and said, oh, we're just uh, voicing the concerns of our players. We think there's more competitive formats, but I, I don't really know. I feel like this is a good format, and it, maybe it's just because I know Dame, Damon Lillard said uh, he wouldn't play if— they didn't have a chance at the playoff, so maybe he doesn't think it's fair or competitive enough. What do you guys think about that that issue?
1: Uh, I, I don't really understand what the his problem is from a competitive standpoint. I understand the safety concerns, maybe. I, I don't know if he was talking about that, but competitive-wise, I think it's very fair, especially for the teams that aren't in the playoff picture. It gives them a chance to try and get in, even with a minimal amount of games left, so... I think it'll be super interesting to watch. I'm super excited for it, and uh, I can't wait.
2: Yeah, so the the Blazers wanted a 20-team tournament. They, they wanted to cut it by another two teams. That's what they were most in favor of. I don't see the problem with having 22. Again, as you both have said, it's a very competitive format. If you're good enough to be able to pull a few wins off in this eight-game stretch, then Perhaps there's going to be a playing tournament, but again, at the same time, if you're in the seed going in, then that's yours to lose. If you can keep playing at a decent level for the next eight games, then you shouldn't even enter a playing tournament at that point. So if Dame Lillard's worried about a competitive angle, then maybe it's because Dame Lillard doesn't have confidence they can hold on to that that seed.
0: Yeah, that's very true. I mean, we've seen the Blazers struggle all season. Everyone thought they'd be an easy playoff team with Lillard and McCollum. Even though Nurkic was out all season, they picked up Whiteside. But they were struggling. They picked up Carmelo. Nothing was really clicking for them. They picked up a little steam at the end of the season, but it was kind of more just the Grizzlies struggling. So I I wrote an article about this today. I was like, maybe they're just worried that they can't keep up their competitive nature for long enough because they don't have – many young pieces like what the celtics tatum so young brown so young but who do they have on the blazers maybe like nasir little an up-and-coming prospect so maybe they see this as their last like opportunity to actually compete in the playoffs these next few years and a 22-man tournament isn't as easy for them to get in the playoffs as a 20-man i, I don't know i just thought it was interesting to see because like we all said it's pretty competitive uh format as we're seeing right now the 20-man so i, I don't know maybe maybe that's the concern there what do you what do you guys think?
1: Is is Nur, uh is Nurchik still going to be hurt? Like he's been out what a I year think so. now.
0: Yeah, I feel yeah. like he won't play because his was a pretty serious injury. He like, are they playing it his- in it
1: or did they decline the invitation?
0: I think the I, I assume the Blazers will be playing in it. I don't think they declined it. I just think they favored a twenty man tournament. Like okay, uh, I- okay, yeah, all right. that makes more sense.
1: Because mm-hmm. I was like, I don't understand why they would decline an invitation. Like, yeah. he still got invited. I don't see what the problem is.
2: Yeah, for me, it's more along the lines of, with Nurkic, I doubt they'll play him simply because you don't want to re-aggravate that injury when he's had such a long layoff. It's best to let him heal up and then be fresh for when the league starts back, which is projected to be in December. I feel like if they're, for me, it's more along the lines of, do they feel like they can make the playoffs? Because if they if they don't, then a 20-team tournament sounds like it's got more, more probability of them guys forcing the issue into the playoffs. But that's just sour grapes, man. Like You're paid to play at a high level. You're at a position where you can fight and claw your way into that eight seed if you perform at that level. You've got Carmelo Anthony that's able to put up numbers, although he's also able to allow numbers to be scored on. <laughs> um, it's, it's one of those. For me, I just feel like the Blazers were trying to hedge their bets towards them and put things in their favour, and that's fine. You have to do what's best for your team at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I think it's completely understandable. I mean, I think most of the league just wanted the NBA back in general. And so, and with this format, it is competitive. But like you said, the Blazers probably just want a higher chance of them making the playoffs. I think it means more. To make the playoffs for the Blazers, because the Grizzlies, Kings, and Pelicans, who all have a chance, are all so young that they're just looking for playoff experience at this point. The Spurs, I think the Spurs should have started a rebuild as soon as Kawhi left. I don't think DeRozan fits this current NBA that well. He's a good enough player, but he just can't shoot the three ball at a high clip, and that's like a very big necessity to lead a team, unless you're Ben Simmons. So, I think... For the Blazers, they're in a very different situation than the other four teams looking to make the playoffs in the West because three are young teams looking for playoff experience. One's the Spurs, and then the Blazers are supposedly in their prime and they just haven't been able to get it done because of the Warriors. So this was their first year, and with everything going on, it kind of blew up in their face.
1: Yeah, the Spurs are like in that, I guess you could call it purgatory. Like they're not going to be a super competitive team, mm-hmm, but yeah. they're not like terrible either. So, like, they do have some decisions to make. I feel like once Popovich maybe leaves, they'll have more of a rebuild type. But, you know, if he's going to be there, he's probably towards the end of his career. They don't want him to have to suffer on bad teams. And then another thing that Adam mentioned, a December return for the NBA. I saw December 1st was the date they were aiming for. That is super exciting for me because you're not going to have to sit through a super long, uneventful offseason after this ends. You're going to have the action-packed... uh parts, the draft, free agency and then it's going to go right to training camp and they're going to start again so these upcoming months or probably about a year is going to be super fun for NBA fans and I cannot wait
2: I'm under the impression that they'd like to try and explore an option of keeping it that way as well but for me I feel like due to the contracts signed with TV companies, due to the clash with the NFL, they're going to be keen to avoid any crossover with NFL games because the ratings are going to take a hit So I feel like it's gonna, they're gonna play this out, and then they're gonna figure a way to shorten the off season again the following year to get back to a regular season afterwards. So it could be a solid two years of real action-packed NBA action before we go back to a one of those long summers where we're just itching for some content to write about, talk about, cry about.
1: Right. It it makes you like dislike the summer a little bit. Well, at least me, because like there's nothing going on. Like I'm not a. Big baseball guy. Like, I don't mind going to the Red Sox game, but I won't watch them on TV. I like the playoffs for baseball, but, like, the summer is so long and boring for me that, like, this makes it so exciting for once, and I can't wait to be excited about something in July and August.
0: I couldn't agree more. I'm not a huge baseball guy either. Like, I remember my mom bought me tickets to a Red Sox game once, and we both got bored in the fourth inning and just left. And so... (laughs) (laughs) I'm just a big basketball fan. I just... I'm super excited. I was talking to my dad the other day. I was like, yeah, I kind of took for granted the amount of NBA we see in, like, the spring. And I, once it comes back, I'm just going to watch any game that's on TV. I don't care if it's the Grizzlies, the Rockets, or the Celtics playing. I'm just going to watch every basketball game that I can while I can because you never know when something like this is going to happen, apparently. And they mentioned that the schedule is going to be sort of like the summer league I saw on Twitter where they play games all throughout the day and into the night, every like almost every day. I assume not every team will play every day, obviously, but we're going to see a basketball like all throughout the day. So I'm just going to be sitting by my TV watching as much NBA basketball as I possibly can.
1: I'm not sure if they said that they're going to allow fans in at all. Um, I I assume that they're not. But then again, I mean, I know they're opening Disney World back up, I think July 11th. So I'm not sure how that's going to work. But Obviously, I feel like it'd be more fun to watch games with fans there, but it's obviously not the safest at all.
2: So they're going to be operating in a bubble, which means okay. it will only be players, very limited media, and possibly immediate family of the players allowed. They're going to keep uh, Once you're in that bubble, there is no one new to come in, and there is no one to leave until the end of the playoffs. So I feel like they'll whittle down that that quote bubble as teams get knocked out to play I'll still allow them to leave and do whatever they're doing but from all accounts it's going to be no fans in the crowd
0: okay I mean that sounds about right we weren't going to see fans in like stadiums if they went back to their normal uh, arenas so it makes sense to me that they don't have anybody in Orlando like watching the games something interesting I did see Uh, having to do with the coaches, at that the NBA and Adam Silver were considering having coaches over the age of 65 uh, wear masks and not having anyone else wear it. So I saw Mike D'Antoni and Alvin Gentry speak out and were saying that if not everybody else has to wear masks, then what's the point of us having to wear masks? I don't see why you should just target us even though we're older. Shouldn't everybody have to wear masks? What do you guys think about like coaches and uh, staff having to wear masks in the arena?
1: Well, Where I work, I work in nursing homes. So, like, one thing they kind of tell us is, like, the masks are less for you and more for the people, like, around you. Like, the mask is to prevent you from spreading whatever you have. So, making the older coaches wear masks as a safety precaution doesn't make sense. Like, if you really wanted to be concerned with their safety, you'd do the opposite. Everyone else wears them except the coaches. But, obviously, players can't play in masks. So, it's a tough, tough spot.
2: Another thing to look at is like they're going to be doing daily testing and it's going to be routine testing. So if you're tested on day A, then you'll be tested again on day D and so forth. So operating in the bubble where there's going to be no contact with anybody who's outside of that bubble and with the constant testing that's going to take place, I feel like having a mask on is overkill because they're already going to be putting track and trace procedures in place if anybody does test positive. They're going to be doing everything they can to keep everything as sanitised and as controlled as possible. I don't want to see Greg Popovich in a mask. I want to see Greg Popovich shouting at people. (laughs) That's what he does, and that's what I want to see. I want to see his witty anger. So uh, I'm all against making over 65 coaches wear a mask because that's just – it's pinpointing them, and it's kind of showing, like, hey, look at this dude. He's old as hell. Like I don't want to see that. I want to be focused more on the basketball than looking at Greg Popovich and wondering why he looks like Hannibal Lecter.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you both make really good points. Sam, with the, the point about the nursing home where it's more for others, and Adam, I think it's just pointless if they're in a bubble. I, I would agree with that, that if they're already going to be interacting with only the people in that bubble, then what's the point of making them wear masks in the first place? But um, speaking of this bubble you brought up, I'm not sure if I missed something, an announcement or a tweet or anything but are they allowing a certain amount of family members to go with these players or is it just you alone or is it like two per person, like a wedding plus one? Like, do you know how that's going to work when they head down to Orlando?
2: So there was a, a media like press release that went out probably about four or five days ago. And that was saying they were discussing the possibility of allowing the family to go. And it said immediate family, but then it depends on what are you classing as immediate family uh, is it your aunt and uncle are they going to get in or is it just mum, dad, wife, children but then there's also the possibility that they're not going to allow that level of like amount of people in along with teams because then that bubble just keeps growing exponentially and anyone within that bubble is also under testing protocols so then you have to think of available test kits cost to to league with testing these extra people they've already lost a buttload of cash from the China incident and now from the COVID-19 layoff So that's still in discussion. As far as I'm aware, obviously, I'm not privy to every piece of information that they're discussing. I would imagine it's going to be immediate family because asking these players to be locked in a bubble away from their wife and children for what's feasibly two and a half to three months is kind of a big ask. So I'd assume that they'd let immediate family in, but we just don't know at this point.
0: Yeah, all this is just me getting at, are we going to see a Deuce Tatum appearance in Disney World? Because that's my main concern. If we get to see Deuce running around at the Disney World like hotels and everything with Jason Tatum, I think that'd be great for Celtics Twitter. Obviously, I don't want anybody to be in like harm's way of catching anything or spreading anything, but... I feel like, like you said, you can't ask Gordon Hayward to be away from his wife and children for two, three months at a time. You can't ask people to be away from their parents who have been staying with them during this time anyways. Like if you're quarantining with somebody away from – what am I trying to say? Away from Orlando and then you don't bring them to Orlando because of concerns, I'm not sure. I feel like they'll they'll have enough space because I saw Keith Smith tweet out that they're reserving around a 1,000 rooms for people. So if they can find the space for immediate family, I feel like that's a smart – way to do things down in orlando
2: i mean as long as dudes don't come in wearing some fresh mickey mouse ears to say he's been in the park (laughs) that's that's when it's going to start going south real quick because they're not meant to be socializing with the normal normal punters
1: in the park it'll it'll be be a big controversy on twitter it'll be like an investigation where where do you get these uh, mickey mouse ears from
2: yeah, they're $35 a pop as well. Like, you shouldn't be buying no kid, no Mickey Mouse ears, man. Like, $35 for ears, dude. I was He's gonna livid. grow out of
0: them.
2: I was livid when I had to buy some for my daughter and wife. Like $70 on some plastic ears. No, <laughs> are you crazy?
0: That's awesome. I definitely made my mom buy me those when I was a kid. She probably was pissed. <laughs> it is what it is at this point, No, Yo, you're
2: over $35, bucks, man. It's simple as that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And one awesome. one thing uh we talked about like we said, like there's not gonna be fans. So I've seen and I, I feel like you guys have probably seen it as well. They propose different ways that they can reward home court advantage to the higher seeds. Uh I saw one that certain players would get seven fouls. Um they would transport the home floor to Disney and actually have them play on it, which I think is kinda cool. It'll give you the visual aspect being at home. Um What else? There were two coaches' challenges and then maybe an extra timeout or something like that as well. What do you guys think of that? Do you think those are good, fair ways to do it or nothing really replaces the atmosphere you can get at home?
2: I mean, there was also the discussion of adding an extra foul instead of the two coaches' challenges. Um, and then there was a running joke on Twitter, wasn't there, saying give Marcus Smart an extra foul or give him an extra two fouls, and the Celtics are going to win the championship.
1: <laughs> um, him, him or Daniel Tice. Tice gets that terrible whistle all the time.
2: Yeah, it was really bad at the start of the season. That was real bad. It was like, um, every time he touched anybody or touched a ball, it was a foul. It, it, he could have been 20 feet away from a guy and he was getting called for a foul. It was, uh, it was bad. I feel like. If there's no fans, I know they've looked at that virtual fans as well. Like, you'll be able to up to whether you want a virtual fan experience. So then it was just, like, randomly computer generate a, a section of fans in the crowd. And I feel like that's kind of – at this point, I, I'm happy to watch basketball and hear them cussing each other out if that's going to be what we need to do. I'd much rather hear people calling them, calling each other out on mislayups, misplays then have a virtual fan experience if they want to take some extra time out for water breaks and for whatever they need to do that cool with that
0: yeah i feel like it's way too hard to replicate the atmosphere of a home arena like you can't replicate td garden the staples center there's just nothing that's going to compare to it like getting screamed at by fans while you're taking free throws so at this point i feel like the nba should just focus on getting everybody safe in this bubble playing the games they need to play, the eight games in the playoffs, and then doing everything they can to, like you said, give an extra foul, give two coaches challenges, just the little things to make it feel like you have some sort of home court advantage. But there shouldn't be – I don't think virtual fans would do anything. I don't think that could even come close to replacing the atmosphere of an actual arena.
1: The only thing I could see that doing is just making it more enjoyable to watch from home. But like Adam said, hearing the players go at each other is just as entertaining. So – um I mean, I personally love watching games at the Garden because I love seeing the people go nuts when the Celtics are doing well. But, you know, I'll be happy to be watching anything because we've all been so bored for the last three months now. So this is all great news. It's a great week
0: for basketball. Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. But moving on to more Celtics talk, I guess. Uh, The Celtics are pretty deadlocked in that three seed right now. I think they're three games behind Toronto, two and a half above Miami, something like that. But we could see a little shuffling with the four through eight spots. So we could avoid a potential matchup with the Sixers. Adam, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think we match up well with the Sixers? Or do you think you'd rather us face... Or the Celtics, not us. Sam always calls me out on that. Do you think that you'd rather the Celtics face someone else in the first round of the playoffs other than Philly?
2: You know what? I think like to, to be champions, you need to beat whoever's put in front of you. And that means... If Philly are put in front of you, then you need to go through them. Because if you don't have to go through Philly, eventually you're going to have to go through Milwaukee anyway. When they talk... So, I'm not too fussed to who we get in the first round. Because if you don't meet them in the first, then you may be meeting them in the conference finals. So, it's easier to knock Philly out early than it will be to knock him out later. Especially if no injuries are occurred in the first eight games. People are always like, oh, well... The Sixers... You know, you need to be able to stop bid, and and then you've got to be able to slow down Ben Simmons, who's an absolute monster on the drive. Okay, great, so we've got to stop two of their guys. The problem is they've also got one of the best pick-and-roll defences in the entire league. But all their guys are big, they've got great switchability, but can they handle the Celtics at full strength once Kemba's knees are now going to be healed? Robert Williams should be playing better because his hip's not troubling him. Gordon Haywood's had rest on that ankle that hurts after a stretch of games. There's too much dynamic? The Celtics are too dynamic off-ball to be able to scheme against regularly. So I I feel like they match up great with everyone. Yeah, the Celtics have to stop Embiid and they have to stop Simmons, but they have to worry about stopping two stars. The Sixers have to worry about stopping four or five stars every night. It's going to be much harder for the Sixers to contain the Celtics than it is for the Celtics to contain the Sixers.
1: Another point to go along with that uh Jack when we had Max on last time he was talking about um mm-hmm. Philadelphia is 29-2 at home. Yeah. So them not having fans to feed off of is definitely going to be something that probably is going to hurt them or at least or at least they won't be able to play up to that high energy team they are at Wells Fargo. So they may not be as tough as you would imagine. But I could be completely wrong about that. They could come out and really want to play because they're killing to play basketball. So, um, But if, if you want to look at it like that, not having mm-hmm. home court for Philly is something that might hurt them down in Orlando.
0: For sure, yeah. I know Max was saying that it's either going to be a big surprise because Philly's going to treat it as a home game because there's no one to cheer against them, or they're going to be awful because there's no one to cheer for them if you know what i'm saying like they won't be away or home so we don't really know what's going to happen in the first place but um but yeah uh adam you were mentioning injuries with like kemba and robert williams uh somebody i was really curious about is canter like at the beginning of the season we saw canter in the game a lot grabbing offensive rebounds uh putting people in the post i know he bullied daniel gafford on the bulls a lot one game i just sticks out for me in my mind
1: he had the monster game against the lakers
0: yeah, exactly. Do you think we're going to see that canter again now that he's had time to have his injuries like heal a little bit and get over it completely?
2: I just want to quickly touch on what you're saying about Max. I'm assuming that was Max Carlin. Yeah,
0: yeah. Legend. No, um, Led- Letterman.
2: Oh, Max Letterman. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. also a legend, so that's fine too. <laughs> um, the one thing I'd just add to that before I go on to the canter discussion is I don't have his enough numbers in front of me, but Embiid is the one that is most affected by playing away from home compared to playing at home. His numbers differ quite quite a lot. I was going to use a big word, but I changed my mind. They differ quite a lot when he's playing on a home court against an away court. So um, it's not so much watching what the Sixers do more than watching how effective Embiid is away from playing in front of the home fans. Touching on Canter, I spoke about this on my podcast uh, that released today, actually. People forget that he was the starting centre in 14 games of Portland's Western Conference final run last year. He had some... I mean, he pulled down like 155 rebounds in those 14 games as well. He was passable on defence. I mean, they utilised him predominantly in the draft. You can't use Cantor in a show, and you definitely can't ask him to be a secondary defender in an ice situation. He just doesn't have the lateral quickness, and his hips are so immobile, it's ridiculous. But if they can utilize him in drop, sk- drop coverage, plug and play him against bigs that aren't really going to pull him out of the paint too regularly, I feel like he'll be a plus. He'll, you'll definitely get your $5 million worth out of him in this playoff series.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I hope we get to see the Cantor grabbing offensive rebounds. And what you said about Embiid, I, I'm just hoping he comes in and drops zero points like he did against the Raptors in Toronto that one time, because that was... I, I don't know what that was. That was like... Uh, one in a million needle in a haystack, and B dropped zero points with like what twelve rebounds. He just couldn't buy a bucket. I so... just want a new crying to me. <laughs>
2: I just want a new one, that
0: one. I, <laughs> I, I, I want to see him cry again. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> awesome. I love that. That was just the perfect image to see after Kawhi just ended their entire playoff hopes. I loved that.
1: Do you guys think Embiid will come in out of shape? Uh, there's a lot of rumor. Uh, going around and you wrote about this right Jack you wrote about what players you thought would come back in not great shape right I'm
0: not th- I don't think I wrote about that I you was talking I think I was talking about it though maybe
1: we talked about it
0: yeah I saw that Jokic apparently has abs now and a beach body which I'm excited to see <laughs> I saw somebody like. say
1: that Luka is out of shape really so, yeah like this time off could really affect players especially Embiid who's someone that they've Complained about his conditioning in the past, and maybe yeah. that's why Adam mentioned he feeds so well off the home crowd. He gets more energy and he plays better because he's not tired per se. Mm-hmm. So that could be something to watch for as well.
0: Yeah, true, Adam. Anybody in your mind you think could come back really in shape or really out of shape come playoff time?
2: I feel like Jalen Brown's going to come back in the shape of his life, man. Have you seen those videos he's been doing with his grandpa?
0: <laughs> yep, I have. <laughs> he's coming
2: back in the shape of his life uh, around the league. I always thought Jokic was going to come... I mean, Jokic was never in shape. He's my favourite big man in the league as well, so there's no Jokic hate here. But um, I always thought he'd come back out of shape. It's hard to tell as well. Sometimes it depends depends on a player's professionalism, and then other times it depends on his mental state as well. I mean, everybody reacts to being quarantined completely different. Some people will work out to pass the time. Others, like me, will eat their way through everything in sight just to kind of feel good so I'm not too worried I feel like you know there's a month month and a half now before the eight game series starts and then you're going to get them those eight games in as well so whoever's returning to training camp out of shape will very likely be somewhere close to game shape by the time of opening tip-off
0: yeah that makes sense they have some time now that they know the NBA is definitely coming back to kind of uh, get themselves in check and stop, you know, eating their way through the whole house, which I have been doing too, I'll own up to. That's uh, kind of bad. But um, I think you mentioned Luca. you thought was out of shape. I know there were some concerns that he wasn't like quick enough in the first place, that he wasn't completely in shape this season and he was still dominant. Sam, what do you think is going to happen if he's out of shape even more if come playoff time? Like the Mavericks aren't a very good defensive team in the first place. If he can't keep up with some of the shooting guards or point guards in the league, how is that going to affect the Mavs?
1: Well, not even just defensively. Yeah. First off, I really do like Luka, and I think he's really fun to watch. So if he's slow, he's not going to be able to get to his spots on offense either, which will lead to him not scoring and then being able to create for the other people on the team. So that could really hurt them. But you guys do make a good point about you know the time that they know that they have to get ready now. It's time. It's time to get going. So you'll probably see like a spark get it underneath some of these guys that are being called out of shape. Um, I hope to see everybody at their best, to be honest, because that's what you want. Um, you don't want it really an Astrid's next to the championship unless it's the Lakers. So uh, maybe Philly. So you want a competitive end of the season for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see basketball again in general. I think you're right that it'll spark some some players to maybe get more in shape and ready for the season. Uh, I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. What team are you guys most excited to watch? outside of the Celtics. Like, obviously, I'm going to be sitting in front of my TV watching every minute of every Celtics game that I can. But other than that, I want to watch as much basketball uh, during this time. So what team do you guys want to watch, like, every game for outside of Boston?
1: I I personally like the Clippers. I like Doc, of course. And I like that they have the best chance to beat the Lakers. I don't want the Lakers getting to the finals. I don't want the Lakers winning another championship. So Clippers, I like OKC a lot. I like uh, Gilgis Alexander. I think he's fun to watch as well. Um, From the East, uh, let's see. You got Milwaukee, Toronto. I don't really think they're super. Philly, Indiana. Who's down towards the bottom? Washington.
0: Wizards, yeah. We got the Wizards. Miami. Miami, yeah. I mean, I'm personally really excited to watch the Grizzlies play. John Morant and Jaron Jackson. I think it'll be a fun combo. I love those jerseys too. Vancouver Grizzlies jerseys. Uh, That's just me, though. I like watching the young teams run up and down the court and alley-oops and all that stuff. What about you, Adam? Uh, Any specific team you're thinking of? Yeah, I want to
2: watch the Nuggets simply because of Jokic. Uh, I like the way Houston have reinvented that five-out offense. Uh, I like watching James Harden do his thing, especially when he's flopping all over the shot. Uh, So I'm looking forward to watching that. The Raptors have an incredibly tough eight-game stretch before the playoffs. So I'm going to be watching those games quite intently to see whether they start sliding and get a good feel about how they're going to be during the playoff series. I'm not going to watch much of Milwaukee because I don't want to get inside my own head and start feeling like winners. <laughs> um, and I refuse to watch any Sixers game ever because I just I really don't like Ben Simmons.
0: Okay, I respect those opinions. I, I would tend to agree. I-, I like the Raptors just overall their play. Siakam's cool. I-, I don't get the Lowry hate. I-, I think Lowry's a pretty good point guard. He's a little. I don't. Yeah. I, know, I don't. I know. Don't. I know. You brought it up. Can you explain that to me? Why don't you like Larry that much, Sam? Why, I just why... don't
1: think he he makes a um a strong impact, especially against mm-hmm. the Celtics. I this year he had one good game against the Celtics. I remember like saying to myself, "That's the first time I've ever seen him do anything." Um, <laughs> I don't know. He he just isn't someone that scares me. I don't think he's um he's not gonna put a team over the hump. But it is funny that you guys mentioned that the Raptors have that tough stretch because before things were shut down, they were one of the hottest teams in the league. Now they might've lost their momentum and they could end up sliding a bit, which would be kind of great. But like now to me, it doesn't matter as much because it's a neutral site, but before getting that two seed was important because you want to play at the garden. So um, getting two seed would still be kind of nice. So you play a lower seeded team in the playoffs, I guess.
0: Yeah, I get what you're saying. It doesn't mean uh, quite as much, but uh, I can see how it's uh, important to put like, the Nets or the Magic or whoever makes the playoffs, the Wizards, over maybe the Sixers or Heat or Pacers. But overall, I think the three seed's a decent place to be. And whoever we face, like Adam was saying earlier, uh, whoever the Celtics face, they'll have to face eventually, uh, ideally. So maybe it's not as important to get the two seed anymore. Adam, do you have any thoughts on what we've been talking about, Kyle Lowry, <laughs> the Haiti gets, or anything like that?
2: Yeah, Kyle Lowry is incredibly undervalued by people around the league. I don't think he's phenomenal by any stretch, but he's definitely like a second-tier guard in the East. He owns a ring now. I mean, you can't sleep on a guy that's got an NBA championship ring on his hand. Very true. I feel like he's kind of an upgrade. His his defense is good. His offensive is good too, but I do feel like he's a little bit undersized, and sometimes he can have... Ridiculously poor nights. And it's that inconsistency that gets him completely and utterly torn apart across social media. Didn't he have, like, a game where he went to zero as well? Last year in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think he did have some game like that in the playoffs. So did Ben Simmons, now that you mentioned your dislike for him. Ben Simmons dropped it. Ben Simmons uh, loves
1: to not play in the playoffs. (laughs) And when they played this... I was at the game where he only... Wasn't I at the game? No, I wasn't at the game where he only scored one point. But... I, that was a that was a fun series, even though it only went five. If they do play Philly again, it might be fun. Who knows? Those guys love to lose to the Celtics, except this year. But they do. They feels also like, like a new to, season to me.
0: They also like to prematurely drop the confetti on the uh, team when Marco Bellinelli hits a two instead of a three. That was my favorite moment personally in the playoffs the past couple years against Philly. But yeah, I'm just really excited to watch some NBA basketball again. I know you wanted to ask Adam, Sam, about some interviews he's done. So you want to take the reins on that one?
1: Yeah, Adam, you've been making money moves since October, uh, joining Celtics blog and things like that. You've gotten to interview Gordon Hayward and Mike Gorman. And Mike Gorman is one of my favorite people to listen to talk in general. So having him on your show was definitely something that I enjoyed to listen to. So what was that like to get to interview somebody like Mike Gorman who's a legend um, in this team he's been broadcasting with them for 40 years, things like that
2: Yeah, Mike Gorman for me that was one of the only podcasts I've done in a very long time that I came into it nervous as hell um, I grew up listening to him on TV, he, I got the opportunity to interview him, he was the nicest guy on earth um, I got his email address, I've shot him a few emails since, hell he's done the intro for the podcast, he's done the intro on the Celtics blog podcast Introduced me like I was a player, scoring two points. Um Super down-to-earth guy. Kicked it a little bit before the episode started recording. Kicked it a little bit after. Um Just all-round great guy. That was the, my favorite interview, my favorite podcast I've ever done.
1: How did you get that to happen? Who did you have to talk to to get him on? Do you talk to the station? Do you just talk to him directly or what?
2: Oh, I'm... um I have access to certain tools that give me contact details for media members. Um, oh, I, was awesome. I, was, I was scrolling through there one day, and um, he's—I just came across his email. So I was like, "Let me, let me just send an email and see what happens," you know? Um, yeah. He, he got back to me like three hours later, and then we then we planned it out within two hours, and then forty-eight hours later, we were recording an episode.
1: That's so awesome! I'm super jealous because like. Like you say, like he seems like the nicest guy, and like you say, he is. Um, he's always on the Toucher and Rich show every week, which is a show that I listen to regularly when I'm going to school and such. And he's always got great stories and well-rounded knowledge outside of basketball as well. So he would definitely be someone that I would love to interview someday. And you had Gordon Hayward too, which is awesome. Uh, is, is it scary interviewing a player like that? Or not scary, but you know, like you get nervous or starstruck or anything like that
2: yeah i mean you stumble over your words a little bit more than normal um you've, it's one of those have you ever been in a in a position where you're talking to somebody and then you say something and you question it in your own head whether you said what you were trying to get across come across properly
1: have yeah ever, yep. been, yeah yeah usually when a, i talk to girls yeah
2: exactly <laughs> like high school trying to pick up chicks right it was a it was a very similar type of scenario so it was like i asked him a question. And then I always mute myself after I spoke to get rid of any background noise. And instantly while he's talking, I'm not listening to what he's saying. I'm not sure if I said that right. Um, Did did that come across right? And then I've missed everything he said. So I've just had to follow on with another question instead of tying things in, which was tough. But it, it worked out quite well. I was quite pleased with it.
0: Yeah, everything sounded really great when I was listening to the Hayward and Gorman interview. Mike Gorman sounds like the kind of guy who could just talk for days, tell you stories and stories, and just you know, just bounce off everything you're trying to say and like, can put it all together. He just seems like an awesome dude, and those stories about him and Tommy being on the road and everything just sounded like they'd just like so fun to experience and like talk to him and have a conversation about.
2: Yeah, he was one of those guys that like, we started the podcast. He's like, I've got 20 minutes because I'm going out kayaking. I was like, okay, that's cool. 40 minutes later, he's like, let me just tell you one more story. (laughs) And uh, it was awesome, right? Because you're like, this is the the type of person I could go out for beers with. And you could end up like, I'm I'm on my last beer. And he's like, no, just get one more. We'll have one more story. uh, No, it was really enjoyable. He's a super cool guy.
1: And it's funny because, like, we hear him call it Celtics. So his voice is like music to our ears. So, like, you could literally listen to him talk about anything. For, like, a super long time, it would be really enjoyable. Like, hearing him talk on that podcast was so nice because I haven't listened to a game in, I don't know, three months. So it was it was refreshing to hear Mike talk.
2: Yeah, I said that, too, at the end of the podcast, actually. I was like, your voice is like home.
0: It really That's...
1: is. I get disappointed when, like, there are games on national TV that there aren't mm-hmm. uh, local coverage for. One game in particular that stands out to me is... Um, Paul Pierce's last game uh, against the Celtics was a national game, and we didn't get a Mike Gorman call for his last shot, and I'm really, really bummed that we didn't get that.
2: I was quite sad about that, too, to be quite honest. Um, the thing is, with these guys, they're going to be doing, even though they're not going to do calls on games or like Tommy stopped traveling on away games. They're always going to have media availability elsewhere because they've been doing it for so long that, you know, they're local celebrities. Um, John Corrales actually of uh, Lactan Celtics had a couple of really good ones. Then. He had Danny Ainge, he had uh, Tommy, and then I'm sure he had like Mikhail or someone like the day after. Like, he crushed it for a solid week. Did you guys listen to any of that?
1: I didn't see any of that. I'm probably going to go back and listen because like I'm listening, looking for new stuff to listen to on uh, my drives to work and back, not same that it's here, very far. Here. But I love listening to interviews and stuff, especially, you know, like the Celtics. Like, listening to your stuff got me pumped. I was like, all right, like, this stuff still exists, even though it's not happening right now. So um, th- that, that would be so baller. Like, imagine that. You're like, yeah, okay, uh, interviewing Danny Ainge today and uh, Tommy Heinsohn tomorrow. And then, uh, yeah, we got Mikhail later in the week.
2: Yeah, I mean, when I've had one or two lined up, like uh, I've been speaking to Phil Pressey a little bit, trying to trying to work my way into getting Phil Pressey under uh, on on the show. And then knowing that it's going to happen eventually is awesome. But once it's confirmed and you've got a day in the bank and you know that on this day I'm interviewing Phil Pressey, or on this day I'm interviewing Danny Angel, Gordon Hayward, Daniel Tice, whoever it may be. Uh, you wake up that morning you have that little extra spring in your step and but i'm so bad for like i'll tweet it out and then i want to see how many link clicks i've had and then like gordon hayward one didn't really pick up traction until it got aggregated by a uh, usa today and that's when it really picked up traction and that was awesome because it was uh the first time like a proper news publication had like pulled my tweets and put it into their articles and stuff and then people were sending it me uh, and that all all of that came off the back of an article I did about Hayward that um, Robin picked up and gave me a shout on it, a shout out on Instagram for.
0: I remember talking to you about that. I was in line at the cafeteria at my college, and I just see I'm like, oh my god, Robin Hayward just tweeted out or put on Instagram uh, Adam's article, and I was so hyped for you because I know. You like work so hard. I know personally, I've you reached out to me a long time ago. You're the reason I'm still writing and doing these podcasts and everything. You're you're the reason I met Sam. You uh, linked us up together, and so I just thought it was super yeah. You hooked cool us up to see you get so much exposure interviewing Gorman and Hayward. I, I just hope one day I can have like the interviews and write the articles and uh, do what you're doing right now. That's that's the dream for me uh, as of now. But uh, yeah, I think now's a great time to start wrapping this up. Uh, I was really fun talking to you, listening about your stories and getting your thoughts on the 22-man format coming back. Is there anything you want to say to wrap it up before we uh, cut it off here?
2: Yeah, just thank you for having me. If anybody who's listening isn't already following me, follow me on Twitter at AdamTaylorNBA. Same on Instagram at AdamTaylorNBA. Check out my work over at CelticsBlog.com. Go on Apple iTunes, search CelticsBlog. I'm there too. Uh, and I also do some stuff for CLNS Media. Sometimes you'll catch me on the post-game radio show there, um, depending on what time the game finishes, because as you can hear, I'm not American. Uh, and I'm also doing some stuff with them for the 450 Times, where we interview players from the Euro League, the G League, the WNBA. We have had some really cool... We had a, a two-time WNBA champion on the other day. We got an episode releasing Monday, I think it is, where we spoke to one of the inaugural WNBA champions in the first first two seasons of the WNBA. She was a back-to-back champ. She was called to speak to. Uh, you Just follow me. I'm around, man.
0: I'm around. Just reach out. We can source them out. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. Anything you want to say, Sam?
1: Yeah, Adam, thanks again for coming on. It was a blast talking to you. Finally getting to talk to you. Um. Uh, yeah, this was a good time. Follow me, Parquet Press. Um, I'm going to have to get back in the swing of tweeting and everything because there's more stuff <laughs> to talk about again. Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, as always, Sam and I's ads and everything are going to be in the description. Adam's are going to be all the way down there as well. But thanks, guys, so much for listening to uh, From the Rafters, presented by Town USA and Parquet Press. See you guys next time. Peace.